This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. your inside pass to everything Saints football. Jimmy Graham brings it down, and that is a touchdown, New Orleans! We'll take you to places most fans never go. To practice, to the sideline, to the locker room, following every twist, turn, and touchdown of the Saints season. That is going to be a touchdown! Taysom Hill! Taysom TD! Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. And that is going to be a touchdown again. And guess who? Mike Thomas. Now, here are your hosts, Steve Geller and Jeff Nowak. Oh, baby! And welcome in to another episode of Inside Black and Gold. I am Jeff Nowak. I am your solo host for this segment. We had to get a little creative. Things are a little weird this week with the schedule. So we're technically time traveling here. Stick with me. I wanted to hold off on this first segment until we could get the first injury report, which if you're watching on YouTube is flashed up to my right here. And in order to do that, we had to kind of go backwards. So Steve Geller will be with me for the second and third segments of this program. But this first one's just going to be me. We're going to go over the injury report. I was able to chat with a few Saints players in the locker room today. So I want to play that audio for you in the second half today. We will get some insight on what to expect from the Panthers. We've got a great guest in Desmond Johnson. You can check him out on Twitter at Des underscore 3505. He's the host of the Believe in Panthers podcast on the Believe podcast network. He hosts that with Jonathan Stewart, former Panthers running back, and also Panthers beat writer Skylar Callahan. He's also the owner, producer, content creator of TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. So check him out. He gave us a lot of interesting insight. So definitely stick around for that. Then in the final segment, we're going to hear an exclusive interview with Mickey Loomis that we got this week on WWL Radio. We had some really interesting things to say about Derek Carr. And then Steve Geller and myself are going to pick some X factors for the Monday night game. Everything is a day late this week. So that's why this is the Thursday episode that we are recording but it is the first day of the injury report. So on for Monday night games, you get Thursday, Friday, Saturday injury reports. Everything's a day later. So we got the first one today. And I have to say, guys, knock on wood, it's hard to hate the current state of the Saints health, right? Like, so you had a couple roster moves this week relative to injuries. Ryan Connolly went to injured reserve. Peyton Turner went to injured reserve. The Saints signed Kyle Phillips and Lynn Bowden Jr. to the active roster. And I have to say, personally, I appreciate the Lynn Bowden Jr. signing because I felt like I was the only one who was putting out roster projections that had Lynn Bowden Jr. on it. I felt like he was pretty close to making the roster, and he ultimately did not make it. He got sent to the practice squad. But I do feel vindicated in that 
clearly he was pretty close to making this roster if he's one of the first guys signed with some of these injuries. I believe there is still one roster spot available for someone to be signed into. So you've had two players sent to IR and you already had one available. Um, there's been a few other players added to the practice squad, a couple tight ends, a uh, pass rusher, but nothing super notable. So you don't need to get too deep into it. But let's go into the injury report, which obviously first one came out today. Five players on it for the second consecutive week. Ryan Ramchek, right tackle, and tight end Jimmy Graham are both on here. They did not participate in the first day of practice, but it is just for rest. They're technically listed as limited today, but that just means they went through stretches. They didn't do anything, and that's fine. You saw Ryan Ramchek was on a program throughout camp. He was on a program last year, and that seemed to help him stay healthy. And so, hey, whatever works. I'm not complaining about it. Same thing with Jimmy Graham. He obviously wasn't hugely involved in the offense in week one. We'll see how that develops throughout the season. Now, the only concerning addition you had on this injury report, Jawan Johnson with a calf issue. He was limited in practice, but he did get work in. So I don't think it's anything super significant, but that'll be something to watch. Two guys who did leave the game on Sunday and came back, Chris Olave, Alante Taylor, Neither of them appeared on this injury report, and that's a very good sign. Anytime you're watching a game and you see someone get dinged up, leave the field, go into the injury tent, and come back, those are the guys you're kind of waiting uh, with bated breath to see, okay, what happens? Are they going to show up in the injury report? Is it something they played through that got worse? That sort of thing. So not seeing them on here is a positive sign. Two players are on this injury report but got back to practice for the first time in several weeks. One, running back Kendra Miller looked good. He's limited in practice today, but I didn't see any physical limitations. It looks like he's getting the work in that he needs to be getting for me to feel confident that he's going to make his debut in week two against the Panthers. Now, can he help spur this anemic rushing attack? I don't know, but I want to see him on the field. You drafted him in the third round for a reason. You like him. He's looked good throughout camp. You really didn't see any of the running backs involved in the passing game in week one. And I think that is something that Kendra Miller can bring that Jamal Williams, while capable as a pass catcher, I wouldn't consider him to be dynamic. As Bobby Bear puts it this way, and I think it's a good way to frame it. Jamal Williams is the type of running back who feels like he's fighting the football when he's catching it. Kendra Miller just feels like he's plucking it out of the air. Then that's a good thing. I'd like to see him develop that part of his game. Either way, it would be nice to see him out on the field, even if it's only for a limited number of snaps against the Panthers. Because, hey, rookie running backs, you want to get them all the reps you can early in the season so that if you need them at the end of the season, they are ready. The next player who came back for today's practice and was actually wearing a red non-contact jersey. First time he's ever done that, he told us today. JT Gray, the ace, the special teams ace himself. He was back out there dealing with that shoulder injury. Kendra Miller, I don't know if I mentioned he's dealing with a hamstring injury. JT Gray is dealing with a shoulder injury. He has not practiced fully since prior to the preseason finale. That is when he hurt his shoulder making a tackle. He left the game, did not come back. It's good to see him back out there. He's the one I'm a little questionable about. Questionable. He's the one that I have more questions about in terms of his potential availability in week two, just because when you're wearing a red non-contact jersey on Thursday, three days before the game, that does not exactly inspire confidence in me that you will suddenly be ready to go full speed and take hits in a game on Monday. But 
We'll have to see. Maybe he can shed that later in the week and get out there. He's a big, important piece in this special teams group. You want him out there. I think the Saints special teams did fine without him, but you're better off with him. So hopefully he can kick that injury and get out there. Otherwise, I think you're feeling great. On the Panthers side, J.C. Horn, their star cornerbacks, dealing with a hamstring injury, does not expect to be out there. I think he's more likely to head to IR than to be back this week. Uh, DJ Chark, wide receiver, dealing with a hamstring injury. It looks like he could be back this week. He was limited in practice then, obviously. And then tackle Taylor Motown, dealing with a biceps injury. He was limited as well. So, you know, all in all, for the Saints, seems like they're getting healthier. You know, Peyton Turner, obviously, notwithstanding. But this is, you know, we, we talked a lot about injuries throughout camp, and you're being you're being cautious with some guys, and you're, you know, like, well, why are these injuries piling up? I think part of it is we just heard more about them because DA is telling us more about them. But this is a very good sign for the Saints in terms of limiting soft tissue injuries. Like Peyton Turner's injury, that's frustrating, but there's really nothing you can do about it from a physical standpoint. You can't, uh, you know – Foot injuries happen. We saw them last year all throughout the season. Hopefully, this is just that one you can get by and you can you can work it out. Injuries happen throughout camp. You can't avoid them. Or injuries happen throughout a season. You can't avoid them. But for now, it seems like the Saints are on the right side of things. All right, before we move on to that second segment, I did want to get to a couple quick interviews I was able to do in the locker room. One with James Hurst. I asked James Hurst about a few elements of of what's going on with Trevor Penning and the offensive line. It's been a big discussion this week. One thing that's been pretty clear from all the people I've talked to is, you know, that there's urgency around the offensive line and getting everything up to speed. There's not a, there's no panic in Trevor Penning's ability at left tackle and this offensive line's ability. It's more about getting to the point where, you know, they can get to week one's always kind of a, uh, you know, a, a crapshoot in terms of exactly what you're going to see from an offensive line perspective. But I thought, you know, James Hurst g- gave some pretty good insight here. So let's listen to that interview. Gibson, this is the Panthers team that you have experience against. They have made a lot of changes. I think they switched to a 3 4. Yeah. Is, is it a situation where you kind of have to throw out a little bit of that tape because it's just going to be a different scheme? Or how are you approaching? Yeah, I think um, as far as schematically, there is a lot that you throw out, uh, you don't look at. But they do have some of those players uh, up front Brian Burns, um, Derek Brown, who are still there. And you know what kind of player they are, what personal traits that they have as a player. But as far as scheme, yes, a lot of things are different. So, uh, you know, we have to take a look at that and make sure we're sharp on that. Gotcha. And this, this is just one place specifically that I noticed in the, I think it was the, the sack that, or fumble, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, I, I saw Jeffrey Simmons kind of reached out, grabbed Trevor uh, by, the, by the jersey yeah. and pulled him in. And how often is that sort of thing happening on the, is that something you have to get used to in the NFL? These guys are so smart and um, tricky. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a real vet move, I guess, by, uh, by Jeff. Um, you know, honestly, I haven't seen it in person, um, but it worked. You know, usually uh, it's hard for that guy to, to reach out and grab someone like that and hold him back. Uh, he definitely did. You know, it's not something the refs are ever going to be able to see or be able to call. So uh, it's not something we're going to spend any time really worrying or complaining about. Um, I guess, you know, hats off to him. It was a smart play. I uh, was able to execute it, which is pretty pretty incredible, honestly. Um, but, yeah, we, we can't have a free rush off the edge. So whatever we have to do, make sure that doesn't happen again. we get we got to get that done. Yeah, Jim, just, you know, last question. When you're dealing with a guy who's really just beating you with speed, as a, as a tackle, what are what are you, your kind of the techniques you're trying to hone in on to stop that from happening? Because it seemed like Arden was getting around the edge a lot. Yeah, yeah. I think um, a speed rusher, uh, a lot of that has to deal with the angle that they're rushing on, right? So. 
you knowing where your quarterback's dropping to, and uh, as a defensive end, they're trying to take the, the fastest the fastest way from one point to another point is a straight line, right? So uh, you have to understand the angle that they're trying to rush. They're trying to run more of a hoop, or if they're trying to run a direct line, as a tackle, you have to understand the intersecting point, wherever that is, and that changes from play to play, from player to player. Uh, so make sure that you're between um, the defensive guy and the quarterback. And I know that sounds really simple, but at the end of the day, that's that's really what's important. Um, make them run around, run around, run around. If your angle's right, you know, they, they shouldn't be able to, um, with, that, with exception, of course, be able to get to the quarterback like and As that. you're adjusting to the NFL, as Trevor is, is that one of the more difficult things? You have yeah, to I, I think so. And just, um, you know, studying the film and have more confidence of going into the game and saying, hey, you know, this guy's going to rush like this or this guy's going to rush like that. Um, understanding how, you know, maybe his set needs to change or how his technique needs to change here and there. Um, I think he'll get used to that. And the more reps he has, more experience, that'll just get better and better. Gotcha. You know, one of the reasons I wanted to talk to James Hurst about that is because you know, I think James, he's done it all. He understands this stuff. And one of the reasons he's been able to stick in the NFL as long as he has is he's very good at it. And, you know, I, I, I did ask him about that Jeffrey Simmons play mainly because uh, I, I'd been asked about it from people on Twitter. And I was curious, you know, how often does that kind of thing happen? And uh, I, I saw some people complain about oh, how the refs missed this call. You know, you hear James talk about it. He's not mad. It's a good play. By Jeff Sims. I mean, obviously it's a penalty, but it's never going to get called. And so at the end of the day, it's like, good job. I mean, it's a, it's a solid play by Jeff Simmons. Um, but the other question I asked him that I thought gives you some real insight into, you know, the, the, the life of a left tackle, right? Like you're going to get rushed a lot of different ways. One of the things that I've seen Trevor Penning specifically struggle with to this point in his career is managing speed rushers uh, off the edge. It seems like he's really antsy to get inside. He doesn't want to get beat inside. So he'll set too shallow and he won't create that angle. And one, what I want to see Trevor get better at is accepting that you can give ground as a left tackle. You don't constantly have to be pancaking people. If they don't get to your quarterback, that's a win. It doesn't matter how far they run. You can ride them in a circle around your quarterback. You just can't allow them to turn that corner. And that's where I think Trevor needs to accelerate his growth is accepting that you are not always going to knock someone off the line. You can give a little bit of ground, but you have to understand the angles. And that's where I think he's been losing. I think he can get better at that. It's And, and like James said, I think it is a, a very difficult thing to pick up as you get into the NFL and you're adjusting to the speed, you're adjusting to the power. But again, you, you hear James talk, you and, and that was not a, that would, we, he talked for a lot longer than that. You know, that was kind of his, tone there his intonations like he's getting better he's gonna figure it out so i'm not super concerned about it i want to see him improve this week next week going forward and i think he will flipping sides one of the other guys i was able to talk to today is tano passigno and uh you know he's a guy who's in the rotation you know he's not a starter he's working in he gets into nascar packages but he has worked with Carl Granderson for each of the past three seasons, and I felt like he was a, as good a person as any to talk about the growth we have seen from Carl. Because I think if what we saw in week one was not a mirage, he could, he could be in line for a huge season. And he can make life so much easier across from him, and it's just the confidence he's playing with is super impressive. And so I asked Tano about that, and here's what he had to say. So you've been teammates with Carl the last few seasons. What have you seen in terms of growth from him? It seems like he's playing really confidently right now. Oh yeah, Carl, man, he's a uh, he's shown that he's um, 
it progressed every year, you know. And um, like you said, he's confident, and I feel like that confidence is shown in his pass rush, just all the different things he's hitting people with, man. He has a bag full of moves, bags full of tricks, and he's not afraid to put it out there. We got a coach that's really encouraging that, so it's awesome. No, it's kind of an inside baseball question, but I am curious, as someone who's never done anything like that, what, he, he's has all these moves, right? You have a spin move, you have a bull rush. Do you communicate beforehand? I'm like, okay, I'm doing this, you're doing this. Is that something, or do you just kind of go for it? Sometimes, but half the time, bro, it's, we're, we're playing off each other. Like, that's where it comes down to the um, knowing each other, the chemistry and stuff like that. So, yeah, half the time, I just know, hey, Carl's about to pull something crazy, let me cover him. Or, like, let me do something, Carl can cover me, you know? Like, we, we see each other really quick. And the spin move specifically, it seems like, you know, we've seen Brian, Carl had it really nice. Is that something you guys have been working on? <laughs> um, yeah, something we've been working on, but, I mean, we got a lot more tricks in the bag, so that's just the, ice, the tip of the iceberg. Gotcha. I appreciate it, man. That last answer I thought was amusing. You know, I asked him about the spin moves and he immediately just flashes this huge grin. Uh, yeah, they've been working on spin moves. And I did think it was interesting. You talked about Todd Grantham, their new defensive line coach. It's really, he's encouraging that type, that part of their game, the, 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 you know, all the moves, all the different intricacies they can work in. And I think we've seen that. Like, I don't think it's a coincidence that, you know, you see all these spin moves out there and these different types of rush patterns and it's worked so far and it's 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 good to see. You know, I thought Ryan Nielsen was a great coach, but you never know. Like sometimes you just switch chain things up and suddenly it clicks for some people. And I think that might be what's going on for Carl in the pass rush right now. And so hopefully that continues and you can get this really effective group throughout the season that makes life a whole lot easier on the defensive secondary, a ta- very talented defensive secondary. Cause if you can get the quarterback kind of playing in their own head, that's when those interceptions come. And I don't, I don't think, you know, the lack of interceptions last year, I think that is directly related to the lack of pressure, the lack of forced mistakes going on behind the line of scrimmage with the other team. So hopefully that continues and it should because you've got a bunch of rookies coming up. And if you can't force a rookie in his second career game to make some mistakes, then that's on the defense. It is not a matter of the offense succeeding. It is a matter of the defense not doing enough. So hopefully that can be the case. Hopefully that can continue. But all right, let's wrap up that segment here. We're going to come back. We're going to bring in Steve Geller, Desmond Johnson. We're going to get into more of what to expect from this Panthers matchup is going to be kind of our weekly look around. We're going to try to bring in someone behind enemy lines to break down what to expect because I don't know that much about the Panthers. All I know is that condensed game that I watched and they looked solid at points, but they look very gettable. So I, you know, if I'm if I'm betting, I'm betting on the Saints this week to go up to Carolina and buck that trend of week two letdowns that we have seen the last few seasons. So this is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can follow my co-host at Steve Geller WWL. You can follow the show at Saints underscore Pod. Check out the latest Saints content at WWL.com and stick around. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we're back. 
on Inside Black and Gold. And as promised, we have special guest Desmond Johnson. You can follow him on Twitter at Des underscore 3505. He's the host of the Believe in Carolina Panthers podcast and the Believe Podcast Network with Jonathan Stewart, Panthers beat writer, Skylar Callahan. He's also the owner, producer, content creator of TobaccoRoadSportsRadio.com. I'm Jeff Nowak. Steve Geller along with me as always. We're getting ready for the Saints Panthers on Monday Night Football. Panthers just debuted Bryce Young. It didn't quite go as planned. I think it started pretty well and then it kind of fell off the rails a little bit there in the second half. I know the Panthers were ahead 10 to 7 at one point. Bryce Young threw a couple of interceptions, but you know, he's a rookie, he's figuring it out. What were your uh, early takeaways, uh, Des, of that debut performance for the number 1 overall pick? Um, well, early takeaways are different than where I am today. Uh, <laughs> I think emotionally, we the whole Panther fan, If you got on Panthers Twitter Sunday night, it was just all over. It was a train wreck. Um, fire Frank Wright, trade Bryce, <laughs> like all that stuff. <laughs> and I'm like, it's been week one. We played 60 minutes of football. Everybody just pumped the brakes, relax. For starters, rookie quarterbacks throw interceptions. Like, I mean, they just, they just do. It doesn't matter how good they are. Peyton Manning threw like 28 of them his rookie year or whatnot. So kind of thought he was going to throw a few. And we kind of set ourselves up because a lot of the Panther beat writers and media had been gushing about Bryce Young in preseason and training camp where we hadn't really heard him do anything wrong. Uh, you know, so we were kind of gassed up to the point where we almost looked at it like he, he can do no wrong, like he's perfect. So when the first interception happened, it was almost like a, oh, I didn't know he could do that. You know, like it just kind of <laughs> it was weird. And then the second one happened almost identical to the first. And it was like, OK. He's a rookie. Like he's still learning this. Atlanta's showing him a defense he's never seen before in his life. So this let's just calm down because the one thing we do know with Bryce and with his coaching staff is that they will adjust. There's a, there's too much experience on this staff to think that they're just going to continue to do what they're doing over and over again. They brought that staff in for that very reason to not do that. <laughs> That's what we just finished doing with Matt Rule and company. So um, I think after having the week to think about it, I feel pretty good about it. People, if you look at the box score of that Falcons. Uh, Panthers game, it, it, it gives you kind of one story. If you look at just the score, it makes you think, oh, the Panthers lost by two touchdowns. They, they played horrible. It was 10-10 deep in the fourth quarter. Like, I mean, this was kind of a rock fight the whole game. The Panthers defense played very, very well. They were just out there uh, probably longer than they needed to be, even though the Panthers won time of possession by 10 minutes over the Falcons. But Panthers won. They had more rushing yards, more passing yards. The only thing they didn't do, they, they had more turnovers. And he had more penalty yards and those turnovers and where they were on the field and the times that they happen. That's really what dictated the game. Those three turnovers turned to 17 points for the Falcons. And that was the game. If you don't have those turnovers, Panthers probably win 17 to seven. And we're having a whole different conversation this week. You know, I always say the Saints fans going into these matchups, you know, always really confident against the Falcons, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But for whatever reason, man, the Panthers are a pesky matchup every single time uh we saw it happen they swept the saints obviously last season with two different quarterbacks two different coaches going on Uh, yeah (laughs) uh, looking the one thing that definitely stood out to me at least that two-headed rushing attack that carolina has right now they always seem to have that you know you're a compadre there with jonathan stewart had d'angelo williams and now you got miles sanders matched up with a chubba hubbard what did you feel like uh, that attack was able to bring to the team against the Falcons. And I'm sure they're going to try and rely on that a lot more going up against this Saints team Monday night. 
Yeah, I thought it was very uh, methodical what they were doing. Uh, Frank Wright's offense mixed a little Sean McVay because you got Thomas Brown as the offensive coordinator. But uh, Frank is calling the plays as of right now. Brown never called them in L.A., so he's kind of learning uh, the ropes from there. They ran really well. We were really happy with Chuba's performance because, uh, you know, he was a pick from a couple years back. But at the time, he was the NCAA leader in rushing yards or whatnot. So we had high hopes for him. And he had a little burst. He had a little little juice on Sunday. So hopefully that can continue. Um I do expect him to open the playbook up a little bit more for Bryce. He didn't really have a deep threat uh, on the roster on Sunday. He yeah. may still not have one uh, this Sunday, but everything that they they had him do, if you look at the the pass chart of what he did, it's all like ten yards or in, you know, from the line of scrimmage. Except for two, he tried to go like late in the game to Jonathan Mingo, um, and I think that was by design. I think that was Frank Wright basically saying, "Look, I've been a rookie quarterback in this league before. I'm not going to put you out here and have you throwing, you know, thirty yard bombs or whatever." Let's just get you comfortable completing NFL passes. Let's just get that going, and we'll fl- we'll accentuate it with the run game. I think they're going to add on to that a little bit more uh, this week. But, yeah, I do expect them to run the ball more than they did last week against the Saints just because it was working, and the offensive line is in a bit of a flux right now with injuries. So I would imagine they're going to lean more on the run game as opposed to having a rookie quarterback and an offensive line combination he's never been behind before throwing 40, 40 times against the Saints. And you, mentioned, you mentioned those injuries, but can you just go through them really quick? I know that J.C. Horn looks like he's going to be out for a while, and I know the offensive line is dealing with some injuries. So where you know where are the most important injuries as you can see it, and where what might you know that kind of result in, especially along the offensive line? Well, so, well yeah, J.C. Horn's dealing with a hamstring. Um, they haven't put him on IR, although Frank Wright did say earlier this week that that is a possibility. Um, Horn said he heard something pop. He might need some surgery, uh, so he might be gone longer than just a couple of weeks. Uh, Brady Christensen, our our, uh, left guard, uh, had a biceps injury late in the Falcons game. He got placed on IR, and he's done for the season. So he he's already out. Um, they got a couple of guys, Cade Mays, a couple others that can move to that spot. Chandler Zavala, the fourth-round guard that they drafted from NC State, actually played left guard at NC State beside Ike Aquanu. So they may move him from right guard over to left. That's something they could potentially do. They've got some guys. Uh, they have had – this team has a depth issue, but at offensive line, they've kind of got a core group of eight or nine guys that they can plug in. They can play multiple positions. So I'm not too worried about it. Uh, Christian was playing really well, but the guys that can step up in that spot can, you know, can play around the same level, especially if they're going to be run heavy. I feel like they'll be fine. Um, DJ Chark is still dealing with a hamstring He's been out since about mid-August, uh, so he might be coming around. I haven't heard any availability for him going into this upcoming game. Uh, so those are the main ones, Christensen and, and J.C. Horn. With that O-line, any chance we see former Saint Calvin Throckmorton get some action? Possibly. Um, <laughs> hey, the way the way we're going right now with injuries, it would not surprise me if uh, all hands on deck. Um, the one issue, and, and my, my co-host Skyler uh, Callahan from Sports Illustrated, he watched his Panther team up close in preseason and training camp. Uh, this entire uh, time. And he was like, the number one issue the Panthers have is depth. That if they start getting injuries or uh, guys aren't playing well, whatever, they don't have a whole lot right there on that second string or third string they can rely on. So they literally, once you get past the starters for Carolina, it starts to thin out because they're rebuilding this roster from scratch pretty much. So that's really the trick is to, to wear them down. You work Carolina down, they've always played tight games. Even when Rule was here, every game was pretty much a tight game. They just figure out a way to lose it in the fourth quarter magically <laughs> with a variety of ways <laughs> this year. We're hoping that Frank Wright and company will avoid that. And uh, same formula, just win the games in the end uh, with their experience or whatnot. But 
Yeah, that's the main thing right there is the depth. The Panthers have a, a depth issue, and they're not going to be able to solve that in season. Fun fact, uh, Calvin Throckmorton's nickname is Doc Throck. So uh, feel free to feel <laughs> free to throw that to one. Say. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> throw that one out there. I think that goes back to his time over, out in Oregon. But all right, let, can we just switch over to the other side of the ball? You know, I think that's where in these matchups the last few years, the Panthers have really taken advantage of the Saints is on defense, particularly in the pass rush. You know, you know, Baker Mayfield really didn't do much yeah. in that game last year. It was a fumble six from Alvin Kamara, and then that long touchdown pass on a screen to LaVisca Chenault. He's a guy that is really intriguing. I think they're. He's kind of being used a little bit like Cordero Patterson. But my mm-hmm. question is more around the pass rush. And Brian Burns, he's wearing zero now, which is kind of weird to see. A uh, big guy in number zero. Um, in, in the past few years, obviously, it's a different defensive coordinator. It's a hero Evero in there now. But what's really thrown the Saints off the last few years has kind of been kind of that zone blitz scheme. You never know where the pressure is coming from. You have guys bluffing and dropping the fire zone situation. So my question is, you know, this year, is that going to be a similar scheme? Have they adjusted that scheme with the new defensive coordinator? What, what you know, what do you expect to see from that group? Well, they moved from a 4-3 to a 3-4, um, right. which is, uh, you know, Dom Capers is on his staff as a, a senior defensive consultant. So he's kind of overseeing uh, what's going on with Ebro and the and the defense. Uh, Brian Burns, the Panthers are messing up. Let me just start right there. The Panthers are messing up by not signing him like weeks ago because the longer this goes on, the more money they're going to have to pay this man. Like he's yeah. going to be flirting with Bosa money. Like if they keep waiting, because if you look at their stats side by side from when they came into the league, they're almost identical. And to be honest, I think I would probably take Burns before I take Bosa because Burns actually covers routes coming out of the backfield. He'll actually go and cover a running back. Bosa doesn't really do that. Bosa is more of a sack artist. Um, Burns is more involved in the run game uh, in terms of run defense. You're going to, you might have to pay this man. Bosa's getting what, 34 million per? Like Burns is the best player on this Panther roster. Like there's no question about it at this point. He's going to get. Something similar to that, uh, which is why I think the, tr- the talks have stalled. You need to worry about where Brian Burns is, <laughs> like at all times. He's one of those guys. Against Atlanta, he had one and a half sacks, seven tackles. Uh, half of those were for loss uh, in the first like half, really like in the first like couple of drives. And then Atlanta li- intentionally schemed away from him the entire second half. And the head coach said so in this post. Uh, they asked about how they neutralized Brian Burns. He's basically like, we just ran away from him. <laughs> like, go the other way. Yeah. We didn't go that way. We went the other way, like the whole half. Derek Brown is a problem as well. He's really grown now in his third season uh, into a, a, a high-end defensive tackle. He was very disruptive on Sunday. That's something else to consider. Uh, I think you guys were having some issues with offensive line and protection or whatnot uh, last week. It's not going to get any easier uh, <laughs> with those two on the front. And then you got guys like Frankie Louvu and Shaq Thompson just kind of floating around. The defense is the backbone of the Panthers right now. Um, they got to keep scores low, keep games close. But if we're turning the ball over to you three times in a game, it makes it really hard to to win uh, at any level of football. So uh, they did some things Sunday, but they're all fixable. They're all things that can be cleaned up. Uh, they're not things where they're looking at them and they're like, well, we don't have an answer for that. The, everything that went wrong on Sunday for them is something that can be fixed and it's a teachable moment. So I do expect a, a better Carolina Panthers team at home, nationally te- national televised uh, game, Monday Night Football versus the Saints, where Bryce Young, if you look at his career, he tends to shine in big games, uh, regardless of the, the level he's at. He tends to rise to whatever the occasion is. So this will be a big moment for him in his rookie season. I thought one of the uh, overlooked maybe signings of the offseason, and I know he's up there in age, but man, what has Justin Houston brought to this Panthers D? 
He's bought uh, leadership. Um, he's actually the one responsible for Brian Burns being on the field. He had to talk with Brian Burns because Burns was going to hold out. And uh, okay. apparently the words he talked to Justin Houston, Houston kind of told him, hey, the best thing you do is be here for your teammates, uh, be here for yourself mentally, come in and play. You're, I mean, you're already signed. I mean, it's just a matter of them trying to extend you. Come on in and show what kind of leader you can be. And I think it's going to work to Burns' benefit. So Houston's responsible for for that. Uh, giving him somebody on the other side of Burns. We saw it last year where we didn't have anybody because Hassan Reddick had left for Philly. Uh, they need something on the other side of Burns to kind of counteract what happened on Sunday where they were able to just do everything on the other side of Burns. And Houston does that, but Houston's also, I think he's 34, so he's not an every down uh, player anymore. He can come in in spurts and give you that. Um, the, the, the linebacking core for uh, Carolina, to me, is the strength of the whole team. In that three four, it's Brian Burns, Shaq Thompson, Frankie Louvu, Justin Houston. That's, that's nasty. That's a pretty good uh, place to start <laughs> if you want to look at where your talent is, and that's where your best player resides as well. So, if the Saints are going to beat the Panthers, they're going to have to figure out a way to deal with that linebacking core, whatever uh, Israel and uh, Dom Capers decide to to throw out there to to confuse uh, Derek Carr. So talking to Desmond Johnson, host of Believe in the Carolina Panthers and the Believe Podcast Network, gets to hang out with Jonathan Stewart, former NFL running back. You know, I, I feel like there's some kismet there because we get to hang out with Deuce McAllister all the time. And hey. I, I do appreciate how former running backs view the game because I think they have an appreciation for the level of physicality that occurs in a football game. Whereas a quarterback, you know, especially a quarterback coming out now, it's like, they hit me. It's like, well, that's a flag. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, whereas, you know, whenever I talk to Deuce, it's like, well, how are they going to adjust to that? And he's like, well, the defensive end is going to come up and knock him out of his cleats. Yep. And then he's going to think about not doing that again. And, you know, we talk, because I, I say that in reference to like the saints have been shifting Chris Olave into the backfield. And I was like, how, how, how are teams going to adjust to this? Like, well, they're going to make him feel it. But, you know, so what, you know, what have you guys been, I, I want to say most impressed with like, if, if, this game goes right for the Panthers. If they come out on Monday night and they really just put on a show, what will have gone right for them that didn't go right uh, in week one? For me, I think the way they're set up this year is just the basic run the ball, stop the run type formula. If the, if the Panthers can run for over 130 yards on your defense and they can hold you to under 100, they probably are going to have time of possession in hand and they're probably going to be leading most of that game if they don't turn the ball over, <laughs> if they don't turn the ball back over to you. And that's another thing, too. They didn't force any turnovers uh, against Atlanta. They had a strip sack and uh, there was a fumble, but both were recovered by Atlanta. Um, and that game might have been different if that had happened. So it's just protecting the ball. Um, I feel like they're fundamentally sound. They know what they want to do. It's just a matter of going out there and doing it with limited resources, especially on offense, like the wide receiver room. It's kind of limited. Um because they're missing some pieces. I don't think DJ Chark is going to be out there, and he was supposed to be like their deep threat. Uh, Adam Thielen, a little long in the tooth, but he's a dependable move-the-chains type wide receiver at this point in his career. Uh, I'm I'm curious as to where LaVisca Chenault went, because uh, he had a good first half, couple of explosive plays, and then they just kind of didn't use him at all in the second. And he might be that guy, like you said earlier, that switchblade kind of Cordell Patterson type of player. Uh, I'd be interested to see what they do with him, but – if the Panthers have run over 130 uh, rushing yards and they've held New Orleans to under 100 rushing yards, uh, that should bode well for Carolina. That's the one metric I always look at when it comes to the Panthers. How's our boy Von Bell doing over there? Former Saint draft pick. Uh, definitely miss Saints. him around yeah. in the locker room. Just a lot of fun to talk to. <laughs> good. Doing really good. Uh, actually, because of him, I was thinking about just a minute ago, I was just on another Panther podcast. 
I don't remember the announcers mentioning Jeremy Chin at all uh, during the game on Sunday. And we had a lot of high hopes for him with Bell coming in. We were hoping that Chin would be kind of become like the Troy Palomalu type safety in this defense in this three, four, where he can drop down to the box whenever he can cover coming out of it. You, you almost don't know where he is like in the defense. And maybe the announcers didn't know where he was. Cause I didn't hear him <laughs> the entire time on Sunday. And part of that's because Von Bell is here now with Xavier Woods back in that secondary, the defense is okay. Like the defense was, was fine when rule was here. Uh, to be honest, that was the one thing we could kind of depend on was that the defense was going to play. The offense has always been the issue in terms of what are they going to be? What's the identity and they're kind of figuring that out with, with Bryce and being a rookie quarterback and this this new staff. So the defense, I'm not worried about. Von Bell was a great addition. Uh, he was actually one of the final pieces they needed in that secondary. They needed another safety, like a hard-hitting vet back there, and Bell fits the bill to a T. So I'm very pleased with Von Bell. I miss me some Vaughn. I, I don't I don't miss me some some Dalton so much. I, <laughs> not, not that I don't like Andy. I just if Andy Dalton just started quarterback here. Yeah, it's kind of hey, like I bet, hey, I bet the I bet the Jets wish they had Andy Dalton on the roster right now. Uh, well, that's, that's what I said. Everyone was like, they, they should trade for Jameis. And I was like, no, they should trade for Andy. I mean, yeah, Andy's the guy they want. Slide uh, right in, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I've been chatting with Desmond Johnson, host of Believe in Carolina Panthers on the Believe Podcast Network. Thanks so much for the time. Before you go, I do need to get a score prediction. What is your guess for this game, Saints-Panthers Monday Night Football? <sighs> I'm going to go 2017 Carolina. Uh, okay. It's a home game. It's Monday night. As long as Carolina doesn't wear the all-black uniforms, which we all adore. Like, they're our favorite uniform combination of all time. But I think they're, like, winless or something <laughs> when they wear them. They tend to bring them out at night. Uh, I could see them wearing all black on Monday. I, I, as much as I want to see it, please don't. Don't wear those because <laughs> our record is horrific when you wear those uniforms. I, I feel like there's going to be some stuff on both sides. I don't think it'll be a sloppy game per se, but – it, it, I think the game's not going to have the the type of rhythm or ebb and flow you would see in say like a Kansas City versus Buffalo type game. Like it's not going to feel like that. <laughs> I've come to grips with that. But uh, whichever team can throw rocks harder, I think is going to win this game. Uh, I and I think it's going to be Carolina. I think they'll learn from the mistakes from last week. They'll adjust. They'll lean on the run game, and they'll let the defense hunt. They'll just let they'll let Brown and and Burns and company try to just basically disrupt Derek Carr's life on Monday night. And and that hopefully will be the formula to win. There's no history. He's out yeah. till week four. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. I'm history. Sure. History would agree with you based on how these games have gone in Carolina the last few years. So the saints are hoping that you're wrong, but <laughs> thanks so much for the time, man. Everyone check out. If you don't need to learn about the Panthers, no place better. Believe in Carolina Panthers. Also check out tobacco road, sports radio.com. You can get a big dose of Desmond there. Thanks so much for the time, man. Hey, thanks for having me on, guys. Anytime you need me. Keep pounding, Des. Thank you, and uh, good luck to your team on Monday. I'm just happy we get to be on primetime national TV for a change because normally we're not. <laughs> so, it's like the first, it's like one of the three times all year the Saints get Yeah, for real. Like, yeah. And two of them are Thursday nights, then they've Same given here. up on us. <laughs> all right, man. All right, man. Thank you. That's going to wrap up that segment on Inside Black and Gold. Stick around. We're going to come back. We're going to hear some exclusive audio with Saints GM Mickey Loomis. He chatted with Mike Haas, talked about how he felt about the Derek Carr debut. I thought it was a great interview. Then we're going to break down some X factors on offense and defense for this game. The players we think are going to go a long way to determining the result. Stick around for that on Inside Black and Gold.
we're back on Inside Black and Gold Pre-Panthers Edition. We're getting ready for week two. This is the final segment of this here show. And and Steve, Steve, I, how are you adjusting to the studio life? You spent so much time following the team around and you got to watch from the sidelines. Now you're just sitting in a in a room watching on TV. Is that, is that a weird adjustment? Definitely a weird adjustment. At least we were back, you know, doing pregame outside the Superdome this year. So yeah. first half of the game, get to watch it in the press box with everybody, do the halftime show in the booth, and then boom, head back to the studio for the second half, which is a little, you know, you're not, you're not on site for it. There's nothing like being at the game. I, I really do love it. You might, you know, all oh, the traffic, the hassle of having to deal with the dome, but there's still nothing like being at a game. And for for road games, though, to me, I'll miss that the most. The travel-wise, uh, getting to travel with the team is pretty pimping. I, I got to admit, pimping. and I, I, I know you'll get to enjoy that this year. And just the the whole the atmosphere, getting to be in a really nice hotel on the road, seeing new stadiums, it's definitely a lot of fun. I'll definitely miss the road life. I'll miss the most. Did you forget how high up you have to sit in the press box when you when you do watch the game? It's like watching right next to the L22 camera. Yes. Sadly, <laughs> I was like, wow, I, I kind of want to be in studio watching it on television. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you need feel like you need binoculars. I know Haas watches with binoculars. But, you know, another guy who watches from way up there is uh, good old Mickey Loomis. You know, a guy who I feel like we take for granted because it's not normal to see a GM last 20 years in the NFL. Look around the NFL and try to find all of the GMs that have stood the test of time <laughs> like Mickey. And, you know, you might not agree with all of his decisions over the years, but there's nothing you cannot question kind of his historical understanding of how this Saints team has operated and what he wants to see and what has been successful and what has not been successful. And that's why, you know, he Mike Haas was able to catch up with him this week on our, you know, weekly Saints coaches show or whatever they call it. The Saints Hour, I think, is technically the name. It's every Tuesday on a normal schedule. This week's going to be weird with the Monday night game. But he was asked about Derek Carr and what he how he felt Derek Carr performed in that game. And I think his answer was really telling. And, and so let's listen to it. Some offense uh, and, and Derek Carr, Coach Allen had said, you know, he can spin it and he's a good game manager. And we saw, you know, I know that the, the pick at the end of the first half is will drive him crazy just from here, knowing the little that I know about Derek Carr. But he did exactly what I would assume this team wanted. He managed the game. Well, I think he did more than that. I mean, he made some plays that uh, uh, we haven't seen made here for a while. And off-platform throws, plays breaking down, him, you know, solving problems. Uh, he, he did a lot of really good things. And, and look, sometimes you get overlooked in a game where you only score, you know, 16 points. But um, I, th I thought he was really good. And, and, look, I think we were really close to having a lot more points on the board, too. You know, a drop here, a, a call there, and, and – uh, you know that it's a different type of game, but but uh, it was also really good to see Mike Thomas look like Mike Thomas too. I felt like like Mike Manny looked he looked like his old self, physical, violent uh, route runner, uh, catching balls in, in in traffic, and and that was great to see. And and obviously Chris Olave had a, had a big game for us, as did Rashid Shahid. So um, it was good to see. It was good. There was a lot of good things on offense, and and look, we can grow from there. 
So when you were on the third and seven, after the second and 14, the pass to Mike Thomas, and then the deep pass to Shahid, what, what it looked like initially it was, a, it was a double move because he was just so open. But on, on third and seven, in that situation, even Coach Allen said yesterday, I don't, I don't know if it was the play I would have called up, but, man, he trusted his coaches and he trusted Derek. I mean, is that one of those plays when, when Derek goes back and, and he's throwing this deep ball, you're like, oh, my goodness. But then, oh, great, you know, it, it, it all turned out perfectly, and it was just a perfect pass and a, and a well-thrown ball and a well-caught ball. Yeah, look, I think, you know, from my perspective, I always appreciate when you you go out and you try to win a game as opposed to uh, trying not to lose a game. And, you know, it was a hallmark of, of uh, you know, Sean Payton's time here as a head coach. He, he was always trying to call plays to win games. And, and I appreciate that when you do that. Look, sometimes it doesn't work out. But I, I think that's the best way to play in the NFL because the um, – the talent level so close. Any team can beat another team. And I think you have to go out and win games as opposed to trying not to lose them. There was a lot there. If you want to listen to the full interview with uh, Mike Haas and Mickey Loomis, go over to WWL.com. There's a story where I kind of break down some of those comments. You can listen to the full interview there. It's about 20, 20 minutes long. So there's a lot more to it than just that. But I did think, you know, when you look at how the Saints operated this offseason, it was very clear that they were not satisfied with how this offense operated last year, with how the offense looked, you know, for a majority of the year before that. And I think, you know, people are going to take that to say, well, he's just slamming Jameis, whatever. I don't, I think this is more about how things went post Jameis last year with Andy Dalton. Um, Obviously Jameis has made some really nice throws over the times that he's started. But, uh, you know, when you get to that second part of that answer, he was asked about, you know, the, the decision to go, big on that last drive where he had third and six and they went deep and they made that big play to Rashid Shahid and ultimately helped them ice the game with that run. And, you know, I think it's, it's twofold there. It's not just Derek Carr is able to do certain things as the quarterback that you need, that this team has been trying to find since Drew retired. It's that you also need to trust that guy. And, you know, even when the saints went five and two to start the season in 2021, you know, we had interviews, we talked to Jameis and he would say things like, Sean hasn't given me the keys yet. Like they didn't necessarily have their trust in Jameis at that point. And, you know, I, that's not fault of Jameis. That's just, you know, I think this coaching staff didn't necessarily feel like they had the pieces in place to be successful last year. And I think you can see now there's a little bit more confidence in that. And you need confidence to, you know, call a go at that point in the game and let Derek Carr unleash it. And I think that's kind of what you're getting from Mickey there. Yeah, I feel like we kind of knew going into even last year, they weren't sold totally even on Jameis. Obviously, the Saints were heavily involved in trying to get a guy like Deshaun Watson. Yeah, Yeah, so you knew that. Well, I figured they would be aggressive again and trying to get a quarterback. And yet Derek Carr has that, you know, past history with Dennis Allen too. So that it seemed like a good match. I know the... The salary numbers made a lot of people nuts, but it just happens to be the crazy quarterback market we're dealing with when you look at the numbers there. And for Derek Carr, man, he came in, you know, you're hearing his press conference, we get to talk to him. You really get a a pretty good sense of who he is, a really likable character. But man, after that NFL films footage even came out uh, after week one, even more likable, really amazing stuff. 
Yeah. And, you know, I think the, the mic'd up packages are always a whole lot of fun because uh, you don't, you know, you, you talk to the players, you hear from the players. It's it's always interesting to hear how they interact with each other on the field. In game, right. There was a clip where he was talking to Taysom about how he always tapes up his ear holes in his helmet so he can hear better and that sort of thing. Taysom he got, couldn't believe it. He was flabbergasted. Yeah, yeah and Kevin Petrie, Kevin Petrie's over there giving a hard time. It was very funny. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that's the sort of thing where you're just – you know, that's where we're kind of getting, and that's when the fan base really is able to connect with the team is when, you know, like Teddy Bridgewater, for example, yeah. you know, I don't think anyone really knew Teddy understood Teddy until he had to come in and play those games. And suddenly he's a fan favorite. Everyone there's chanting his name from the stands, even when he's not in the game. And that's the type of stuff where you're, you start to forge that kind of connection with the team and the fan base. And it's not for nothing. I mean, Drew Brees was not, you know, endeared to the franchise in his first career start, right? Like it took some time for everyone to kind of have some belief there. And then he, he obviously earned it quickly for good reason. Um, but that's that's the thing that's kind of cool to watch in real time as you as you build this season. And hopefully it can continue kind of shifting gears. We'll, we'll close out this episode by talking about now. Obviously, I think Derek Carr was an X factor late in that game. Rashid Shahid was an X factor late in that game, obviously, throughout the entire game, really. Um, but, you know, in good ways and bad. But, you know, so let's let's close out this episode. I want on offense and defense. Let's both pick an X factor and we'll start with you. Who is your going to be your defensive X factor for the Saints-Panthers matchup on Monday Night Football? I'm going to be looking up front on that D-line. It's kind of looking both at Shepard and Saunders, who I thought did a heck of a job against the Titans. Uh, but getting you know pressure up the gut again uh, is going to be key. And also stopping that Panthers run game because that's going to a lot more scary to me than what they have uh, at wide receiver or even tight end right now. Uh, so I, I think if you can pressure Bryce and st- stop that run, obviously it's going to be a heck of a time for this Panthers team. And they didn't they didn't have obviously great offensive showings last year against the Saints. But but like I said, that combination of Shepard and Saunders, I think uh, I'm going to look for them to really dial in, apply that pressure, and be able to you know be stout in the run game. Which man oh man, I, I know Derrick Henry still got his, but was impressive all around how the team was able to contain him. And I guess you got to give a lot of credit, too, to a guy like Demario Davis in week one. But uh, I'm still sticking with Shepard and Saunders up front. I, I kind of cheating there. And I'm probably – you're going to get mad. I'll probably be cheating on my offensive pick, too. <laughs> all right. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Miles Sanders and Chuba Hubbard are kind of the backfield duo there. I thought Chuba Hubbard looked really good against the Falcons. So he's a guy – that I think the Saints are going to have a little, you know, they're going to have to focus on. I think you're right because if, when you're going against a rookie quarterback, you're going to be daring them to beat you, right? Like if you, you need to be able to shut down that run game so that you can force Bryce Young to beat you. And he threw a couple picks in week one. And I think that's where you're trying to, it's like, okay, Bryce, can you, you want to throw up March on, you want to throw up Paulson, you want to get all that done. Right. Uh, you know, it's a lot harder to do if you can't run the ball. And so to me, I think, you know, I'm looking at Alante Taylor, because a guy who ruined the game for them last year was LaVisca Chenault. And he's a guy who's going to play in the slot. He's going to move around. He's going to be a little like Cordero Patterson in that offense. You saw him used in week one for the Panthers. And so he's, you know, Alante is going to be the guy who has to come up and make tackles on LaVisca. And you saw PJ Williams fail in that regard last year. So that's, he's the guy. I think if he can come up and make tackles and not get taken advantage of in the slot, I think you have a really good shot. Um, now let's put shift over to offense. You said you're going to cheat, so let's hear it. Who, 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 what's your it's, cheat? It's on the cheat. offensive offensive line in the run game, kind of married together, just because 
uh, preseason was really disappointed in what we saw. And then obviously it was a tough Titans defensive front week one. So I'm not that disappointed in the output that we did see. But now coming into this game against Carolina, we saw the Falcons were able to run all over them. I want to see the Saints be able to put up some decent yardage here. Gotcha. You know, I, I agree with you. You know, and on, on my end, it's going to be the obvious one. It's Trevor Penning because uh, yeah. they're going to they're going to be rotating all day long. They're going to be trying to put extra pressure on that side. I mean, when you see a guy get just destroyed by Arden Key the way he did last week, any team in the NFL is going to look at that and sure. say, you know, uh, we, we're going to we're going to figure this out. Uh, we're going to find a way to make his life as miserable as possible. It's on the Saints to to adjust. But, you know, he needs to get better. He needs to show that last week was not indicative of what he's going to be doing every week. Um, and yeah, so, so we're going to, we're going to, that's going to be, that's going to be my X factor, um, on the offensive side. Yeah. And hopefully, uh, our, our boy Blake groupie can be of X factor again, too. Uh, he, he was obviously key game one, these divisional matchups. We talk about it all the time. They know each other so well, blah, 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 blah. I definitely expect a tight game here, but the saints to pull it out. It could very well be a field goal game. But yeah, I know it's going to be a fun matchup. Uh, the Saints have historically not done very well in week two. We remember what happened in 2021. They went down to Jacksonville and beat the bricks off the Packers 38 to three. And then everyone was loving it. Everyone was like, this is the answer. This is the this team. And then they go up to Carolina and just get, oh man, demolished. I mean, last year against the Panthers was rough. Two years ago was just horrid. They at least had a chance in that game last year. <laughs> Two years ago, it was just Jameis getting destroyed. So hopefully that is not the case for the Saints again this year. Hopefully they figure it out. But that's going to be another another interesting date up in Carolina. What's your kind of project, prediction for this game? I think, you know, the, the the Bryce Young matchup makes me feel a little bit more confident about it in terms of, you know, week two. Yeah, yeah I think it's going to be like a 21-17 kind of deal. I do think it okay. still ends up being close, even though, to me, I feel like the Saints should dominate this team, but divisional matchups are whacked. Uh, the, last year, that man, that week three, that week three game was such a bad omen for the Saints. Uh, the James uh, had his back broken the week before that, or whatever. Yeah, not great. Right, and then you had at one point it was like Jarvis Landry went in the injury tent, and then boom, following right behind him was Michael Thomas. It was terrible. Yeah, that was that was suboptimal. Hopefully, yeah, that's kind of the thing. It's like, okay, can can Mike Thomas keep surviving every week? It's any Mike Thomas makes it through without an injury. I'm like, yeah, good, got it. But all right, that's gonna wrap it up for this episode of Inside Black and Gold. We're getting ready for the Saints Panthers on Monday Night Football. Make sure to check out the latest content over at wwl.com. Listen to Sports Talk, 4 to 8 p.m. Monday through Friday, WWL AM 870 FM 105.3 in the Odyssey app. Follow us on YouTube. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. Steve Geller, WWL, and who that? Go Saints. Let's go Monday night.